Ah, shit, I cracked open the Coca-Cola I just, before. It's okay, you, you missed it, but I have one on my own end, so I cracked it on the mic. Oh, nice. Yeah. We never miss this. How are you fucking it's doing, It's a requirement. Alex? I'm doing pr- all right. All right? Yeah, I was going to say pretty good, but I wanted I want people's bar to be low. Oh, is, is I don't want high expectations. Reason? No, I just don't want high expectations. Set kind? the bar very low. Yeah. Wow. Correct. Okay. Well, then I will uh, raise the bar today. I did oh, something. Shit. I did something crazy. Yeah. I went to the farmers market. What the hell? I know it's it's crazy. There's a farmers market every week. We go there. Um. Anyway, there was this plate. There was this little vendor out there that wasn't there last time, where he had like mm-hmm. barbecue dry rubs. Oh. Really good stuff. I ended up getting like a veggie prime mix or whatever he called it and like that veggie prime rub that's what it was called and so like that's that's a good general one but he had me try another one that he said it was spicy i was like okay sure you know i'll i'll try it like he had like you took it like a shot basically whoa and um and so yeah sure i'll try it i threw it in my mouth before he told me what was in it (laughs) apparently it had seven different peppers in there including the scorpion pepper Oh, how did you fare? Um, well, I went to the next vendor crying. (laughs) Like, it was, it was horrible, Alex. Oh, no. I mean, I mean, like, my nose was running, my eyes were watering, and, like, I was chugging this tiny, tiny, like, travel water bottle for, like, airplanes. And it was just nightmarish. I got, I love spicy food but like that was too much like i had like heartburn for hours afterwards i uh i have a similar story from my childhood oh really where i uh one time my dad needed to get like something repaired in his car and so he took me with him because i think he was watching me because i think my mom was at work and i went and he had to wait like a couple hours so we like went somewhere to go eat nearby Mm -hmm. and uh it was this uh this Mexican restaurant and um, it's one of those restaurants where the plates are heated. Oh yeah. And uh, they, I touched that plate faster than they could warn a small (laughs) child about the hot plate. That shit scalded. (laughs) That shit scalded my hand. I just like screamed and yipped. And then I immediately dunked my hand into like the cold glass of water. That's hilarious, Alex. You know what that makes me think of? Hmm. Did you hear the story like that? I think it's like a Twitter or a Tumblr story where like somebody's partner is like cooks and um, they said one time he was cooking and he goes, oh, I hate this part. And he t- he like opens the <laughs> oven and grabs the like the, uh, the what are they called? The, sh- the baking sheet with his bare hands <laughs> bare screaming, screaming the entire time. Oh, I hate this part. <laughs> oh, it's such a funny funny thing like, oh what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> oh that's good stuff yeah it's it was really oh. Funny. oh i know what i've been doing but i we before this podcast started by the way to reveal the behind the scenes all i've done is like play like elden ring and other video games and watch youtube this week but besides that i have been prepping for a new D game oh yeah because I've I have started a second party in my D and D like world that I'm building, very much inspired by how uh, Brett Ultimus does his world of IO, where all of his campaigns are taking place in the same span of time in the same place, so the parties can interact and the world is shared, mm-hmm. where the consequences can like hit other parties and stuff like that. I thought yeah. it was a very interesting idea, and I'm definitely in cor- like plus it saves on resources. Because the more I build in this world, the like easier. Like years down the line, when these two campaigns don't exist, if I make another game, I can be like, oh yeah, I can use all the world building and maps and everything, and just like slide someone into a new world or the old world. Okay, it's great. It's a great system, 
and you can just like be like, oh, it's like a couple hundred years in the future, and some things have changed, or maybe you've dialed it back in time, or uh-huh. like stuff like that. It makes me think of when I used to run different games in my my old homebrew setting, um, mm-hmm. and I still I still reference it a lot. Like when I run modules like Curse of Strahd, I always have them in this setting as like a backdrop. But mm-hmm. um, I love like constant timelines in games. Where, like, yeah. this game happened, like, 1200, and then 40 years later, this campaign happened. And you get to see the aftermath of one campaign, or you get to, like, see what the world was like before another campaign was happening. It's really fun. Depending on how one campaign ends, you could, like, use the player characters as NPCs in the future. Yeah, I do Stuff that a like lot. that. The, uh... I'm very excited for the day... Because it's gonna fucking happen one day where these two parties are going to collide. I'm You're not, in the other I'm not one. Excited. <laughs> I know you don't think it's gonna. You think it's gonna be hard to try to roll everyone into one singular day. <laughs> oh, really hard. Oh yes, it is. Especially with one of our one of my our friends. They're only available on the weekends, <laughs> and so it's gonna be hard. To, it would be wild if the two parties interacted. Are you talking about um, our friend uh, Stinky Fingers? Yeah, uh, correct. She, didn't she quit her job? No. Well, yeah, yes, she quit. Her still job. working there. Two two weeks notice, but wait, still it, it hasn't been two currently. weeks yet. I don't know. I have no idea. You're you're a bad friend. <laughs> I, I don't quiz. I don't just ask my friends like, oh, "Hey, how much time do you have left?" I just wait for the context. How much to time do you have left so I can plan for your death? Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. Well, Alex, um, in uh-huh. order to make this uh, podcast episode as boring as possible, do you want to tell us about your homebrew game world? Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, basically because I played a lot of Sea of Thieves, and then I played, I'll, I went back and replayed the video game Sunless Sea, already talked about it last week, uh, the, uh, that inspired me big time to make a pirate campaign, although it's kind of evolved now, and it's not really so much pirates as it is ocean-themed, island-themed, not everyone's a pirate, people just be on boats. Yeah. That's kind of what the main crux was, I just wanted people on boats. East India Trade Company era. Yes, but not as horrible. <laughs> not, not as, as fucking like, horribly colonistic. Yeah, yeah. Colonistic, colonialistic, colonialistic. Yeah, there you go. Colonial colonizers. It doesn't suck. It doesn't stink. It's not lame. That's all yeah. you gotta. Yeah, that's that. My world is epic. The real history is unfortunate and sad and devastating. I just wanted boats. That's all that's I wanted. The thing, and cannons right? and whatnot. And then I played a bureaucrat who made it very obvious that you can't really do anything about that. No. <laughs> but, yeah, the world is, is like... My plan for this campaign... Or campaign. The plan for this world is that I'm doling out story events very, very slowly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I am... Uh, what's it called... I, I want them to be large enough that they affect both groups now. And uh, I have a couple in the fire. But my main thing for designing this world is each individual island I make, I need to make... Ones that are, like, named and have civilizations on them, not just, like, specks of sand on the surface. Uh, the ones that actually are, like, civilized with, like, people on them are, like... Uh, I want to make them interesting enough to where I could host an entire campaign on that island and people wouldn't have to leave to get more entertainment. Really? Yes. If one of these parties were to say, fuck it, um, we're selling the boat and we're going to just fuck around here, I want to be able to give them that. I want to be able to be like, okay, yeah, this island is now your world. Yeah, this island is now your world. Like, um... If they if like the group suddenly found like a deserted island that just was like jungle and then like a beach, and they were just like, okay, we live here now. I'd be like, okay, let's talk about how you're going to uh, build a civilization. I guess that sounds fun. <laughs> like I would literally, I would let the parties do whatever they want. Yeah, 
I, I think that's very interesting. That's a very difficult thing to pull off. Yes, and uh, very fortunately for me, a large group of the party does not want me to just say, go make your own adventure. They kind of want me to give them a skeleton to work off of, Yeah, well, which is like, nice. Like, so any, and I don't mean to interrupt you here, of course. No, please go. Um, the, the backbone of any good campaign, even a sandbox campaign, is guidance in a lot of ways. This is um, true. I run Curse of Strahd very often. It's one of my favorite published adventures. Um, mm-hmm. Curse of Strahd is as good as it is because it gives the party a clear goal, even though it is the best sandbox in all of 5th edition. Is, it's pretty good. You know, like, you go in, and it's like you are you under the impression that, yeah, it's Curse of Strahd, the guy's a vampire, everyone knows that, like, that's very obvious, but That's it doesn't give you the nebulous goal of get Strahd. It gives you a more clear-cut goal of, uh, uh, and this is like very mild spoilers for the first chapter of Curse of Strahd's book. Guys, um, fucking watch out. Yeah, really watch out, guys. Um, most of the adventure hooks the game gives you lead you to one place, and that is the Burgomaster's Mansion in Barovia, where you meet Irina Koliana. And Irina Koliana is a very interesting character. I won't go into, like, why she's really interesting. But her purpose in Curse of Strahd is to give you a sort of adventure tour of Ravenloft, as, like, the the plane of, like, Ravenloft that Barovia is, rather. Um, and so, like, in the goal with her is she's like, oh, Strahd wants me... I need to go here. And that's technically given by her brother, Ismark, but the whole idea is that Strahd wants Irina, you don't like Strahd, you take Irina somewhere else to be safe from Strahd, and then the story then starts to happen naturally as you do this adventure because there's so much weird shit happening in all these locations. And so then you have the open sandbox goal of, like, do I pursue this quest or do I, you know, just put my nose down and go straight forward? And that's like a really interesting thing for a sandbox is giving you like a, that active decision to make. Hmm. Um, e- and you were given that decision directly, but you can still choose to do anything or nothing. It's true. And that's it, what it, makes a good sandbox. Curse of Strahd is so very, Curse of Strahd is so very, very good. It's well written. Um, the, uh, I, mm-hmm. but that's kind of, that's the, what I want to kind of give, but I can't fucking, I ain't Wizards of the Coast. I'm just some guy. I mean, of course, but I'll try my damnedest several times since the eighties. This is, this is true as well. It's almost, uh, it's 40 years old. I want to play the original. I want to go no, back. <laughs> I want to go back and see what it was like. It probably is not same. very good. Oh really? Yeah, I no. figured there'd be Curse big sweeping Strahd changes hasn't really like there changed. are. Really? The only That's like wild. different thing is the um, pre, uh, like the basically the, the prologue dungeon death house is that's new. Uh, Everything else is like from the old adventure. There's a lot of like different information and writings in the old versions of it, but the basic bones are still the same. And so, like hmm. Curse of Strahd has always been good. It's been so good that, like, it had its own DOS point-and-click adventure game. <laughs> Technically not point-and-click, it was more of, like, a dungeon-crawler like first-person game, but that's besides mm. the point. Curse of Strahd has always the, uh, been good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a wild ride. Yeah. It's a wild ride, indeed. The, um... What's it called? The other group, going going back to, to the campaign I'm running, the other group that doesn't include Lily that I run on Saturdays now, mm-hmm. is a, uh, they're very much more freeform because with uh, Lily's group, the, they work for basically th- this world's version of the East India Company, but it's not horrible, in parentheses. Uh, it is, uh, so they have like basically if you've played Sea of Thieves, they have, like, uh, voyages to do. To basically give them a reason to wander the different islands, and then as they're on those islands, they have some shore leave time while things need to get prepared on the on and off the boat. Uh-huh. So it gives them time to do stuff on the islands. Mm-hmm. 
But the other group, they don't work for that. They don't work for that company. They were just on. I. They were just all on an island, and their their stories converged in the middle of a street. And then they were like, "Well, we are all kind of stuck on this island because we don't have a boat. Let's go get a captain." And then they went and got one. And now I have to. Uh, so they don't have a captain like Lily's the captain in the other game. I have an NPC captain that they that runs their boat for them. I like and that. now they have a now they have a permanent party member. I like that. That That's is a, me. Hey, um, I like the idea of not having like one of the players be the captain. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm I'm I don't like really worry about this, but it's like kind of in the back of my mind. Is like what if mm-hmm. what if I make the game suck by being the captain? You know. <laughs> but I, I tend to like, I think... play really hands off as a captain. Yeah, it's true. And also, I think that Amelia is a good captain. Really? Because Amelia is Lily's character, by the way, for context. Oh, yes. Uh, Amelia is a good captain because when it, basically the the main role in game mechanic for the captain is to manage the crew, which is not something they really have to do right now with how the short the voyages they're taking are. Like, the morale and everything. Because the boats need a crew. There's like 20-odd random faceless NPCs that are basically treated like currency in terms of game mechanics. Uh, But they... uh, Just like real life. (laughs) (laughs) But the... The... uh, What's it called? Besides that game mechanic, the other core part of the captain in my game is basically just to be like a decision maker and basically like a guiding hand, kind of like a like a moderator to an admin, like like the, where the DM is an admin and then the captain is a mod. Yeah, like they can like if something happens with the crew, they 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 have the handle on the situation mm-hmm. and also they are the one that's like you have choice a or b they're usually the one making that choice because the other people in the party are like i don't want to make that choice <laughs> yeah. um not to mention the fact that uh bookkeeping is really important for these games that too that too bookkeeping uh, no so... one no one else in the party likes it. me and you fucking love that i shit, love though. bookkeeping it's one of my favorite things i go every okay, once in a while everyone every, every have... once in a while i have to stop us because because one of our other Party members is like, this shit, I don't like bookkeeping at all. Can we yeah. hurry this along a and little bit? And I go, bit? <laughs> I want to buy 40 days of food and water. How much is that, Alex? And, I'm, and, and I nod eagerly, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I start, and I start make, bringing out my little tables. Like, as like a group. Just me and you. Yes. As like a group in a yes. D&D game. It's just like, all right. Yes, so... we would be fucked up bureaucrats. <laughs> um, I, think it's, I think it's fun to play the captain in this game because I'm very much... I was very much inspired by Captain Smollett in um, uh, Treasure Island. Mm. Horrible, kind of boring man. He's very much um, under the duress of a bureaucratic system that he doesn't really care to question. In fact, not only does he not question it, he um, he thrives in it. And mm. so because of that, Captain Smollett is a very unpopular captain with his crew of less than admirable uh, cutthroats. Essentially, a lot of the a lot of the men on the ship are very much anti Captain Smollett because pirates get one share out of like everyone. Everyone gets one share, no matter if you're a captain or not. Um, mm. And uh, because of the the period of time that Treasure Island takes place is like East India Company major shipping. Um, captains and other officers of the ship would usually get a larger cut than you would expect. It's mm. kind of the difference between, like, your upper management versus your, uh, basic, uh, person in, like, a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that wage difference usually led to mutinies. Um, and I like the idea of having a cap- character that allows roleplay to be easily influenced against her. Yeah. Is that she she does have to worm her way through situations with characters who aren't uh, honorable. Mm. And that is something that most people don't want to play. They want to play the the person who's the most likable. Except for our group. Our yes. group's fucked up. But, like, for example... Our like, group is fucked up. Example of, like... 
most most groups of people for who like don't like use D D as like proper massive way of to writing characters and stories but instead you have like a kind of a game aspect to it more mm-hmm. um those kinds of groups you'll usually get players who are like if a decision they make makes somebody mad they'll like try and reverse it and you yes. see that sometimes at our table yes um but i i don't like playing those kinds of characters i like playing very divisive characters so a captain in a ship full of people who are more inclined to commit crime um isn't going to be very liked even though amelia is very inclined to commit crime on her personal time because that's that's what's so interesting to me with with amelia is amelia is like bureaucratic like buttoned up and very much like order and like uh laws and rules until the person uh controlling the laws and orders and rules has their back turned and then it's like step 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 and then like quickly go put the knife behind your back and be like yeah just normal bureaucratic stuff here yeah nothing out of the ordinary and that's because she her biggest flaw is avarice she is a greedy person and a which is funny captain. because now we have like a we now have a very lawful good person who very much keeps questioning all of the very questionable things you people are doing. Oh yeah, um, but her her avarice is what will likely lead to her downfall as a character if she doesn't um, succeed in her actions. Mm-hmm. Um, being a greedy person and being a captain is a very interesting like conflict of interest. Yes. Um, and so, uh, Amelia is just very interesting to play because just could you imagine a Captain Smollett who is willing to give everyone a bit more of a fair wage because it doesn't matter if she makes a bunch of money off of this shipment because she's going to go and do something that'll make more money than any of this ever could. Long, long con. Yeah, exactly. Long con Smollett. Yeah. And that's why the, she uh, isn't, like, ousted immediately. Yeah. I'm very much interested in how these games play out. Because we didn't get to play them for a while because of, like, emergencies and real-life stuff. Mm-hmm. And now we're kind of getting back into the groove. And I'm very much interested to see where we go. Because one party is, like, level 4s and one party is level 5s. So we're starting to get to the point where things become a little more interesting mechanics-wise. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love I love level five. That's like the best level for five e. That's that I think from now from now on. If I have a part a new party in my pirate world, I start you at level five. I think that's yeah. the new rule. I mean, level, level one, one through three. Five, sucks. Level one. Yes, it does, most classes don't get fun until level three, and then they get really good at five because you get a feat and you have some stats. Yes. Um, I like low level gameplay though a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes, I like. It does create like some dangerous the, situations. Well, low level gameplay is like beautifully balanced. You could, it's true. You could throw one guy at your party, and it could be very dangerous in a very mm-hmm. interesting way. Is that it? Get, it instills a rapport among a group of people who are like, okay, we actually have to like work together to deal with this threat. Mm-hmm. When you start higher level, you have a harder time building that rapport. Because threats aren't as severe or immediate. You know, I've got 35 hit points. I can take a hit or two. A good example... Like, something else that I think is, like, interesting is uh, altering the stat blocks and the monster like information yes when you are using fifth edition creatures i learned this very quickly when i threw a like a what was a skeleton minotaur at you guys yes and then immediately both vez uh and lily were like oh just put some oil under his feet kill him (laughs) yeah immediately the man falls over and then you stab him to death because he's a big lumbering minotaur skeleton Mm -hmm. and i was like okay i need to get a bit more creative (laughs) oh yeah um, I yeah, have I have people that know D and D fifth edition very well. Minotaur skeletons are like a good benchmark monster. Mm-hmm. Um, they're my favorite monster that's to throw at a party it. of people who haven't really played together. Because mm-hmm. um, if you know about minotaur skeletons, uh, bludgeoning damage deals twice the damage to them. 
And that is like that is the the thinking person will go, okay, we just we smash his kneecaps in, you know. Um, mm. But if a party has some not misgivings, but like if a group of players don't like know a lot of fifth edition or are a little uncreative in their approach, um, mm-hmm. they will usually um, just try to face tank it. That is a bad idea against a Minotaur skeleton. Yes. Um, Something else. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. Sorry. You go. You go. Yeah. You go. Well, so my favorite mechanic is the gore ability, where if it moves mm-hmm. 10 feet in one turn, it can do two attacks. It is a brutal amount of damage. It's like 2d10 plus 2d12. Yeah. Um, and usually, like, that, this will be the boss in a bigger dungeon, so it'll be, like, maybe level 2, level 3. Even a group of level 3 party members, I've instantly killed someone with a, the gore. It's yeah. brutal. And that, like, throws them into a huge panic if they're not sure what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it is it is great. Because if your party deals with it immediately and is has no issues, that's how you know that you can throw harder challenges at them. Also, um, an alternative to people having knowledge of, like, say you're playing with a game of DMs, I think an interesting way to keep things kind of balanced is if you throw an enemy where it has a very obvious weakness if you've looked at its stats before Mm -hmm. as a DM, an interesting way to do that is be like, okay, you know that, your player does not, you need to roll something to figure out if your character can identify this weakness. Otherwise, uh it's kind of meta game E. Oh, yeah. Um, well, see, my favorite thing to do is to modify the stat block. Instead yes, of it that's having the one, one I prefer. Weakness, you make a new weakness. Yes. So, like, yes. if you want, like, a quick, very basic example for anyone looking for a bit of advice on man- monster design. Make a minotaur skeleton with, like, plated metal bones. Instead mm. of bludgeoning damage at this weakness, it's fire damage. See how a party reacts to that kind of thing. And how they yes. change their gameplay I, style. The yeah, the two options for like yeah, dealing with experienced D and D players or at least fifth edition players is like, like either modify the stats or like make it so players' knowledge of the stats need to be rectified mechanically in mm-hmm. game for them to abuse that knowledge or not just utilize. That's yes. the word. Um, but I definitely prefer modifying because I think that makes that way more interesting. It's like the whole. It's like the whole. Oh yeah, trolls are are you know fire damage is good for them. Mm-hmm. And it's like that's very. What if medicated. the troll is really 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 wet? Well, <laughs> actually, there is like in um I believe either Volo's Guide to Monsters or Mordekai's Tome of Foes, um there are troll variants that have different weaknesses. Really, really, really wet. Uh, yeah, um, but. My my trick you gotta is dunk usually, him. <laughs> my trick is usually that I I don't run games where the monsters are just the flat five e monsters. I usually yes. like take the stat blocks and then flavor them as something else. Yeah, usually for uh, I usually wait until people have more of a bearing like again like level like level three to five is when i start fucking with things mm-hmm. one to two i kind of just throw them the vanilla shit i throw oh, yeah. some bones for sure you throw and then them i'm like, like okay uh, now i gotta get weird you throw them like a scout or two or like a method yeah yeah i threw yeah. some methods out there i like i like scouts the, goom- the goomba the goomba fifth edition <laughs> scouts are very basic monsters because all they yes. are is they're dudes, and they have a sword or a bow. That's it. That's all they are. Eight hit points, does I... some damage. Kobolds are fun. I don't like kobolds. Okay. <laughs> I like kobolds as, like, a hazard in an environment. Okay. Um, like, trap makers in, like, tunnels. Hmm. So, like, you're in, you're, you hear, like, scuttering in the walls, and then, like, a crossbow peek out of the wall, and then thunk, 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 you know? I like, I like kobolds in that context. I don't like kobolds as a monster you can fight, because they're just kind of nothing. I treat, I treat kobolds as, like, shy guys from the Paper Mario series. Wow. Where, where, where they're just, like, a guy, 
And then as that's as the, something I will give the newer Paper Mario's is they it's overutilization, but they utilize a lot of shy guys. You know that fucking I like, don't know. slurp guy. Yeah, from from Color Splash. Like, there's like 16 different fucking types of shy guys in that video game. Yeah, which sucks, but also I like shy guys, so it makes me smile. Yeah, but uh, that's how I treat Cobalt. Same like when we were when we were last playing Paper Mario for the channel, we were in Shy Guys Toy Box, and how there's all those different variations that do different things. That's how I treat Cobalt, where it's like you have the basic little Cobalt creature and then you're like there's like there's this weird one on like fucking stilt legs and there's like six (laughs) of them stacked on top of each other that's funny watch out all right well we'll be back in a little bit for other D &D talk yeah hi welcome to home sweet homebrew i'm lilith uh yeah (laughs) alex <laughs> I claimed this bit dead in the water when we were when I found out that the show was canceled, yeah. and then only to have it brought back to the dead by my co-host. It just fucking deflated me. <laughs> it was fucking, I think it's fucking so funny. brutal. I knew you it you didn't so want to do brutal. the joke anymore, and I thought it would be so funny to like bring it back <laughs> to fuck with it you. Fucking, and I was just like, it made my it short circuited me, so I just was like, ah. <laughs> I can't believe this. Oh my gosh. <sighs> so talking about open world in stuff. Okay. Uh, yeah. I am definitely getting a bunch of that kind of open world. Like, I haven't been this enraptured with an open world video game. We're talking about Elden Ring. Uh, oh. Since Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Breath of the Wild was like that, fre- that like spring fresh air to the open world video game genre. It was very good, and then, like, looking back, you're like, that shit was repetitive as hell. <laughs> All the shrines are the exact same yeah. palette, and then, like, the core. there's way too many Koroks. They really just, like, carpeted the entire world in them because they didn't have anything to do in the world besides it looking pretty. Yeah. Um, and currently, I'm experiencing that kind of fresh air with Elden Ring. Do you think it's going to end up being, uh, like, Breath of the Wild in that regard? I think so, because it definitely is sharing some of the things. There are little dungeons that are like catacombs sprinkled throughout that I found like three of now that have felt very formulaic and like there's just like some hallways with a little bit of puzzle platforming slash like trap avoidance avoiding and then like some ghouls scattered about throughout the halls oh, and then mm-hmm. like you pull a lever, you pull a lever, you go through a door, you fight a boss, you're out. And I'm like, okay, that's the shrine. Open worlds will never replace carefully constructed worlds. Yes. Ever. But here's the thing. I found, like, three of those. The rest of the game is fucking great, though. I'm sure. Like, I... I'm like... Jeez. <coughs> I caught my own spit as I was speaking. Uh-huh. Um, the Those little catacombs are fun. They... Looking back, I'll definitely look back and be like, yeah, that was the shrine from Breath of the Wild. But they were much like the shrines of Breath of the Wild. They're still fun to do. I remember (coughs) there was this one Breath of the Wild puzzle that was, like, obnoxious. Yes, the physics puzzles. No. It was the puzzle that required you to go to two different shrines. Oh, The one where it had a constellation puzzle. And it's yeah, like, I just took look at these constellations, and I go, "Great, I don't know what these mean because I went to the one that required you to go to the other one first. Oh. And I was there for like three hours before I went. Like, okay, I'm looking it up, and someone's like, "No, you have to go over here." I'm like, "What? Why?" I, <coughs> I think the worst part of that why game pat is it still, out. That's true. I think that the worst ones, the worst parts of that game. One, the, uh, <coughs> uh, God, I wish I could clear my throat, but I don't want to crack open another cold one. Uh-huh. Um, one, the rain mechanics Bad. to just completely shit on the, you know, the whole point of the game, which is to climb on everything. Uh, two, the shrine where you have to use a hammer to play golf. <laughs> not the one, not the goal you actually need to beat the shrine and get the orb. The secondary one to just get the little treasure 
chest icon on your is map. Is that the one where like you have it? to like hit a ball with stasis and then you have to hit it into like, yes. a, a hole that's really far away across a chasm? Yes. Yeah, the one, one you need to actually beat the shrine is not that bad. No. The one you need to do to get the little extra thing for 100% completion, fuck off and die. I hated <laughs> it so bad. Um, but the um to to transition back to to Eldan ring because um, yeah, I, I, I don't know I'm, anything about it's so it's just a very good <laughs> souls game the game they literally took all of the good things about the previous video games they've invented um and then just rolled them into one open world game and it the only problem i have with it is that i bought it on xbox one to play with my friend online i if i bought it on pc maybe my eyes wouldn't hurt from the frame rate oscillating insanely oh, it does what on xbox it doesn't like the frame rate isn't that bad but it's i've noticed this when i play console games i feel eye fatigue that's the only time i've ever felt eye fatigue is playing mm. on consoles it doesn't matter the game like i think just something about console frame rates hurt you, my eyes well it blocked at 30 usually um do you think maybe your tv's settings are too like high mm-hmm. like do you change I've, your I've adjusted like, around. brightness and stuff nope Everything is the exact same as when hmm. I play PC video games. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just maybe my eyes are just a little funny. But um, anyway, to, to talk about op- the open world stuff, yeah. the sh- the little catacomb things are cool. I like it. The boss fights are all unique inside so far. I haven't found a duplicate boss. Okay. So each one at the end is a unique, rewarding fight. It's kind of easy if you're well. It's kind of easy for me because I'm using magic. But the uh, the uh, the fights are all interesting with cool patterns. It's not just like the same boss skinned over and over and over again. Um, the open world aspect is just like you press Y when you're over ingredients to craft, and it's like a very minor part of the video game to craft things. Uh, I really could do without it. Uh, you get a fucking sick horse. They did the good thing in a, any game where they give you a mount. They let you press a button to put the horse directly next to you, and you move on with your life. That's great. Every other Breath of the Wild, I think, has the worst horse in video game history. Where if you are like one third of a mile away, the horse just can't fucking hear you, and you are just stuck. And then Alex. you have to go get special horse armor to summon the horse. Alex, yes. You're forgetting Skyrim horses. No, those guys are units and I love them. They suck. They climb the mountain good though. They climb the mountain good, sure, but they they don't you can't even call a horse. This is true. The only but horse that, that does is, anything like um, that is Shadowmere. 8, 000. That's true, but the game is also older than uh everything. What? I think they should put horses in Fallout. Anyway, the <laughs> uh-huh. the, the, the come on seventy six. It's fucking Appalachia. Put a horse in it, but uh, they'll never do that. Uh, the 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 interesting thing about this game is that like the open world. There's not much. It's pretty empty except for the occasional like like beastie to fight but it just sprinkles enough content to where like it's worth exploring everything because you could be exploring some fuck all like lake that's like ankle deep water and then like you're just running around like hitting enemies and then all of a sudden like a big fuck you dragon shows up and it's like that's a world boss and he's gonna kill you you better go now Skyrim, but the hor- but the dragon is not an enemy to be killed for its things. It's to kill it because you can, and you're not going to do that because it's way too strong. Hmm, interesting. But again, like um, to tie this into the Curse of Strahd talk, okay, uh, how it gives you a clear cut goal and then kind of tours you around. The game sends you on like a path, like you go here. The like bonfires. Like, checkpoints have little, like, arcs of light that lead you to, like, the first challenge. And you get there, and he's like, I'm big old man with big stick. Fuck you. And then he crutches your head like a tin can. And hmm. then, like, your, like, guide in the game is like, sorry. And then teleports you to, like, the hub area. And then, like, you talk to some people. And then, like, you kind of realize that, like, this game is not linear. 
You don't have to go beat the big scary old man with the big stick yet. That's a challenge for like when you actually are, are done later. There's no pro- that is progression, but there is literally no set point in which you have to do it like every other Souls game where it's like, okay, you have Ornstein and Smo, two big fuck you bosses that are you're fighting at the same time. It's like halfway through the middle of Dark Dark Souls 1, you're you have to beat these guys to continue doing anything in the video game. Sorry. Uh this game throws, like, a challenging foe at you, and it's like, you have literally the entire map. Come back later. <laughs> you could go do, like, maybe 30 hours of content, and then go beat the first boss. Like, the first real, like, challenge. Mm-hmm. And throughout that, you find items that are like, this item is a key item that, like, makes the boss stunned. This specific boss stunned, to make the first boss easy. From what I've gathered from hearsay and rumors there's like 12 necessary fights in this video game <laughs> that you have to do to beat the video game mm-hmm. and so they left they it's very much like a strad situation where they're like there's a key critical path you need to follow but you should go do everything <laughs> you should go experience the game and when you hit a wall go touring and find some new encounters, find sub-bosses, find side quests. It's very... It's very satisfying. I need to do the multiplayer badly. Because I think it's going to be fun to play with my friends. I wouldn't... I, I don't know. I've never played a Souls game. I think you would like them if you had the time. Ah, uh, that's the problem. Those These games are big... Dark Souls 1, not so much. Dark Souls 1 is actually very compact and elegant and i like it a lot uh same with bloodborne honestly but like dark souls 2 dark souls 3 sekiro actually i don't know about sekiro uh this one elden ring these ones are time commitments they are long video games especially if you're not very not a veteran Mm -hmm. but bloodborne respects your time and dark souls 1 they didn't figure out how to disrespect your time yet so you so it's good (laughs) they didn't know how to disrespect it yet plus in that game you go into a bird's nest and pretend to be an egg just like the classic video games of yore yeah you crouch down into a ball and then a big raven's like that's an egg and then takes you to prison just just straight to prison Takes you back to prison. Sorry. It took you out of prison and now it's putting you back for being an egg. For being an egg. Mm hmm. I bet if anyone else had played Dark Souls 1, they would be nodding sagely. Oh, really? What I'm saying is wise elder knowledge that I can see. assist you. You go to prison to get a ring that lets you walk in water that's thigh deep. I'm sorry? <laughs> In Dark Souls 1, if you're in, like, what is considered deep water that isn't, like, going to kill you instantly for touching it, because the Souls games don't let you swim, ever, except Sekiro, but, uh, in in games where, like, if the water's waist deep, you're, like, movement is super hindered and fucked up, and, like, it sucks, but if you go get a funny little ring in a prison, uh, it negates this entirely, and it's normal, as if you're not in water. Dark Souls 1's wild. <laughs> it doesn't say... It sounds like it makes no sense. It's a fun game to experience. I think it would be very fun to trip sit, watch you play Dark Souls 1. Really? Yes, because I think that... Like, Dark Souls 1 was the... It's what started it all with all the... It's so hard, get good, blah de blah blah Dark Souls 1 is easy as hell. <laughs> it's so easy and slow. Isn't that, that so like, funny? Yes, and it's also one of my favorites. I played it for like 300 hours, maybe even 500. I'd have to go look at Steam. Oh, oh interesting. I, I love that game. It's inc- like it has a bunch of flaws. It's not a good is not good in the second half. The first half is almost like a perfect video game <laughs> in my opinion. I love it. It's a good challenge. Interesting, Alex. I'll be honest, that doesn't immediately sell me on it. The first half was good, and then the rest of the game happened is a horrible well, the, selling well, the th- point. The, the, the thing with the second half of the game is that it's not unplayable or bad or broken or anything. Yeah. The problem was they ran out of development time. So ha- so the game basically, like, 
it's a very linear path until you get halfway and you kill the two big bad boy bosses at the same time. Yeah. And then you get fast travel and the game opens up into four paths to go kill four bosses that you can do in any order. Um, Two of them are interesting. Um, The other two, they ran out of development time and it's just kind of a big flat pit that you walk across and then you go fight the boss and win. Oh, so it's not so much like the game is like broken or like um like it's like uh like the enemies are too strong or whatever it's literally it's too easy it's too simple Ah. (laughs) they made they they ran out of time so you like just win (laughs) you're like oh one of the bosses you fight in just a place called the abyss that's just a textureless black void Oh. And it's just you and the model of the enemy. And his whole thing is he can turn into four of himself. That's it. Is that interesting? I think lore-wise, that area, they did a lot with it. I think the Abyss... I think the Abyss fight... I think that is not... Like, it definitely was to budget reasons, but they worked it into its lore and stuff to where it's actually kind of a cool area. Okay. It's all very strange. yeah, this game... It's a very strange series. It's all like knights and swords and shit, and then you go to an area, and then there's a big dragon that's just got a big vagina teeth for a belly. Uh, oh. And it's just called the Gaping Dragon. You're kidding me. No, it's called the Gaping Dragon. He's got a little tiny head the size of, like, a human... It's the funniest model in video game history. I gotta send you a YouTube video of the cutscene of his introduction. It's funny as hell. Oh, no. Uh, but yeah, I think watch. I think you could definitely beat Dark Souls One like that. It's not a problem. I mean, I beat Hollow Knight. Yes, if you beat Hollow Knight, you will survive Dark Souls One because there is a definite way to. The thing about these games is so interesting is you build the character. You start with fucking nothing, and then, like, you figure out which thing playstyle you like. Do you like a dex build where you got a little stabby-stab weapon and you go fast with DPS? Do you want just a big fuck-you club and to have so much armor that you, enemies can't even give you knockback? You just swing through everything they throw at you? Um, or use magic or, like, like faith spells or whatever? Yeah. Like, there's plenty of ways to make a run of that game interesting and be strong at the same time. Yeah. All the games are like that, but Dark Souls 1 is especially easy because they didn't know how to make things frightening. Frightening Uh, Because they didn't didn't know how to make things fast. Everything's a big lumbering oaf going like, "Uh, I'm raising my sword up. I'm raising it. I'm going to throw it down. I'm and if you press the right trigger, you. if you press the right trigger at just the right time, you negate all damage. And then you instantly kill me with a parry. That's uh, hilarious. The parry is broken. Same with the backstab, which is why they got rid of it in certain Souls games. Because they're like, we're going to fuck with you. Um, okay. That's what they did with Bloodborne as well. They realized like in Dark Souls games, people are like, well, they just get the big fuck you sword. And then they get a shield. And then they're invincible. Well, instead of a shield, we give you a gun. Now you only can roll. Fuck you. <laughs> like, and then it actually becomes like a skill challenge. Yes, and and then it, it become they work that into the gameplay. And Bloodborne, if you get hit, if you get right back into combat and start wailing on the enemy, you just heal for free based oh. on the damage you deal. So it rewards you to get like quick and dirty with your attacking instead of like turtling. Okay, and being defensive, it rewards offense. Interesting. I um, I didn't think about it in any way like that i love the gameplay of a souls video game Mm -hmm. i think that they are so clever in their game design i love them i would probably never touch sekiro because of the system they introduced with like like poise or whatever it's called where like you basically don't deal any you don't deal any damage to an enemy you basically wear down their stamina enough in a boss fight to where they just go and fall to one knee and then you take their entire health bar in one swing i think that's kind of lame i like chipping away at the health bar okay but i think all of the games are unique and interesting in all of all that they do the the actual combat mechanics are very 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 clever with how they've designed them okay that's good plus the fact that you can kill almost every npc in every one of their video games for no reason 
<laughs> no besides reason. being vibe besides sometimes they drop things but usually what happens is you like smash the back of their head open and they're like why and then they evaporate into dust and drop like five dollars on the ground and you're like why'd i do that <laughs> <laughs> for what reason in Dark Souls 1, that's a different story. There's definitely NPCs where, like, you can cheese them because they're just sitting on a cliff, and you can use the kick, which doesn't make them angry at you. It, it just, doesn't. like, makes them stumble... It, it just makes them stumble backwards a little bit. I think if you do it enough, they're like, fuck you. But if you do it fast enough, you can just kick them off a cliff. And then if you save the game, quit, reload, his items don't spawn in the pit. They spawn where he fell. And oh. you just get, like, one of the strongest rings in the video game, which, like, boosts all your stats and shit. Uh, by the way, the ring's called the Ring of Favor and Protection, a.k.a. the Ring of Fap. Uh, no. The, uh, <laughs> and that's what the speedrun community calls it anyway. Uh, at least some people. It's probably not the entire community. It is funny, though. Um, Knowing speedrunners, the, like, they do call it the Ring of Fap. But, but yeah, there's so many... There's so many different paths to these games because of how they build the character building system and gear to where you could play the game probably six times with a unique result in terms of gameplay. I love talking about these games. They interest me greatly. They interest you greatly. Mm -hmm. I want more friends to play them with. I need Mm -hmm. to turn my PS4 on at some point in my life and start playing i need to beat bloodborne still uh i it's it's just a matter of fact that it's on a console it truly is <laughs> that's truly the downside is it's on the ps4 meaning i have to unplug the hdmis and then move the capture card equipment and then fucking turn on the ps4 and make sure the controller is charged I actually, meanwhile i could like mm-hmm. boot up oxygen not included and play that for like six i actually hours. recommended bloodborne psx to a friend who's never played a souls game before it's good i said if, if you like that you'll like souls games yes and I think that's, except, I think except that's really imagine good. if it played. Imagine if it controlled better. I did. I did. I, I told him that too. Don't worry. Yeah, you don't have to use a D pad for the camera. <laughs> you nightmare. don't have to open the pause menu to take to like switch your trick weapon. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think that um, Bloodborne PSX is probably going to get a lot of people into the Souls series. Yes, it's incredibly clever, and the entire like. Uh, spoilers for Bloodborne PSX, I guess. At the very end of the game, they're like, well, we beat, we let you do, like, up to, like, the second major boss in that game. Uh, there's also an entire area and boss we made from scratch based on the lore of the video game. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And I was, uh, immensely impressed. It was incredibly cool. And I think that's, that's really admirable. Mm-hmm. Honestly. <sighs> well, man, I am getting tired of all this Bloodborne and Dark Souls talk. Yeah, we need. I need to like. I need to addict you to the Souls games, and then we can have a detailed, in-depth conversation no. for six hours. I just need to indoctrinate you real quick, okay? No. Real quick. Just gonna inject you with the Souls juice. Souls juice? Yeah, the soul, the From Software juice. I'm just gonna inject that into your veins. I don't trust like that, Alex. It's alright. It makes you epic. It makes me epic? No, that's false. <laughs> that's false. Why would it doesn't you lie? Make it makes you based. I'm sorry. It makes me based. <laughs> and a, and based also on a little what? bit And also a little bit cringe. I'm sorry. Oh my god, Alex. There are some adverse side effects to being interested in Dark Souls. You're a goddamn liar. I also just like medieval... I just like swords and stuff, man. (laughs) You know what? I like the idea of running a 90s campaign. Like a 90s D&D campaign. Yeah! Talk about that. Oh, I can talk about that for hours! So Talk about um, it until our runtime ends, and then die... Um, so for those of you who don't know, I have an art Twitter called at Lilith Moth. That's where I post art. Lately, I've been posting concept art for a D&D campaign that is set in the 1990s. Um, and I've been doing a lot of concept art for uh, like what the fantasy races would look like, 
wearing like 1990s fashion uh and so i have um i had a lot of fun doing these um the fashion of the 90s was very very interesting because it's it's very different from now where like we're kind of almost like clothes that are close to the skin is a good the good thing um Mm. where um in the 90s um you would you would like baggy clothes like really baggy clothes um burlap sack-esque not more like like overalls and like hammer pants and those kinds of things um where like now it's like skinny jeans skinny jeans are kind of out of fashion too now now it's about like leggings and shit i don't know i don't know what people like um it's like skinny jeans was was more of a thing now um you get like tight shirts and like all kinds of all kinds of things like that um in the 90s it was very like loosey-goosey like the grunge movement was really big and grunge fashion was very much like look like a hobo on purpose kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say hobo. I should say homeless person, but... Um, Probably. There's a difference. Yeah. I think. Y- yeah. I it's... think a homeless person is the sad truth of, like, poverty. And then hobo is, like, a whimsical fairy tale creature. They're different beings. Yes. Yes. It's like the difference between a fairy and um, your gay uncle Ted. Yes. Yes. Correct. <laughs> yeah, um, yes. But, so, like, it was very, it's very fun. There's a lot of loose, baggy clothing. Um, I learned how to draw tabaxi because of this. Mm. Um, I used to have problems drawing cat body structure, and then I was like, okay, I'm just going to fucking learn, because I have this perfect image of this tabaxi um, wearing, like, street clothes. Mm. And so I, I had to... I had to learn that, and I had a lot of fun learning how cat facial structures are and, like, body language. It was really cool. Hmm. Um, but I have a 90s campaign idea um, that I'm working on, and I want to make, like, a whole, like, introductory video for, like, uh, when I get it, when I'm ready to have players uh, get into the game. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be, like, it's, I don't even know how to describe it clearly. But the idea is I want to sample the setting and style and music and everything that's going to be in the game to see if pe- to like see if people are interested for like in, in like our friend group. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not posting this online. Um, but it's a lot of work doing all of that. Yeah. Um, my biggest my biggest hurdle right now is making playlists for the game. I've got yeah. a '90s alt rock and punk playlist for, um, you know, it's not even just alt rock; it's hard rock too. Uh, playlist for like combat and stuff. I've got a hip hop uh, playlist uh, that's very light because I'm not very familiar with '90s hip hop, and there's um, there's a lot of it. Um, yeah. That playlist is going to be like for some parts of street uh some parts of like street walking that kind of thing i've got a pop playlist for uh more urban adventures inside of like stores or buildings um i've got a whole bunch of stuff going on i've got a city pop playlist for like nighttime because city pop is my favorite uh era of japanese pop music and city pop is very good even though it's technically 1980s mm-hmm. um and my inspiration playlist has a lot of 80s tracks on it too because um, the 90s and the 80s are very similar in my head. And if I like, and, if, and melding them together into like a nebulous setting is really fun. Yeah. Um, there has been a really big hurdle, though, with designing stuff. Yeah. The 90s were one of the most divisive periods in America racially. Yes. There was a lot of um, riots and protests and police violence against different people. Uh, in the 1990s in America, there was a lot of notable like California riots that happened, um, much like the uh, George Floyd protests of the start of COVID. Um, and I want to include different cultural pieces of like multiculturalism from the 90s, where like different peoples have different like 
things. Like, I want to include what would be considered, like, parts of uh, Asian culture in America, parts of African-American culture. Um, but it's really hard to include those without sounding really tone deaf to the yes. struggles of the time. And as much as I like knowing about history and learning about it and including it in the things I create, um, this is not the kind of historical accuracy that is fun for D&D usually. Yes, this is why the East India Company is heavily parenthesized in mind as like, not actually. It's not like that. Yeah. I, um, I don't, I don't want to be like, yeah, there's just colonizers. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I'm, uh, that's the like my biggest hurdle right now. Um, as soon as I can figure out like where the line is drawn with that, I think I'll be set to do like design work for the city that the game is going to take place in, the general plot routes, and um, the homebrew subclasses and sub races for this setting, like technomancers and um, warlocks of like the deep web, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be really fun. Um, but with like that, uh, we are out of time. Are there any parting words you have for us, Alex? Uh, I commanded you to tell me about your 90s world and then die, so that has to happen now. Okay. Uh, clap!